Welcome, everyone, to another episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing fantastic, man. It has been a hell of a week, and today has been a hell of a day. I am so excited to bring you guys this episode. Uh, Murad killed it, and this episode is an absolute banger. Yeah, Christian brought Murad onto the podcast, so props for him for sourcing this interview. Murad is just an absolutely goldmine of just information, content, and also high props for delivery. He never trips up. He he spits out content like it's like it's his job. Uh, we go through so much in this uh, in this episode, so really excited to bring it to you guys. We start off talking about his charts and his charting skills and why he is cool with delivering the most concrete charts of all time. Uh, we talk a little bit about his on-chain analytics that is a kind of in, an industry that he is pioneering along with a few others. Uh, we talk about uh, the differences between valuating uh, like evaluating a smart contract platform and instead evaluating it at, evaluating platforms by their consensus model, which is a pretty interesting concept. So we'll get into the episode. I think he's totally spot on with that too. So yeah. uh, again, he's going to elaborate a lot more. We're mm-hmm. not doing it justice, but um, really deep kind of analysis here. Yeah, and a couple other key takeaways I really uh, got out of Murad was how this, the desire to invest in more than just one thing is going to cause multiple things to exist by itself. Uh, and that's, that's what probably was my big takeaway from, from this, uh, this episode. There's a, lot of, there's a lot in there. We talk about MakerDAO. We talk about Bitcoin maximalism. We talk about volatility and its role in cryptocurrency and a global uh, currency. So much in here. So give it a listen retweet the episode guys really appreciate it if you do that that gives us the exposure we need to keep on doing this also rate and review the podcast on itunes either of those two things are are how you can contribute to us without us having to go to advertising thanks guys yeah absolutely and side note check out at bitcoin 2019 conf on twitter uh, check out the website at Bitcoin2019.com or Bitcoin2019conference.com. Uh, if you use our promo co- code POV15, you can get 15 bucks off an already ridiculously cheap ticket, which is $100. So your ticket would effectively be $85 for a two-day Bitcoin conference. POV boys, bringing it for real. Check it out delivering content left and right. All right, without further ado, let's get right on into the episode. All right, guys, I am super excited to bring you Murad Mamadov uh, from Must Stop Murad on Twitter. Uh, Murad, thanks for joining us on POV Crypto. How are you doing? Yeah, for sure. Super glad to be here. Uh, I'm doing well, guys. How are you? It is super rainy over here in San Francisco, and I know uh, it's dumping snow in Seattle. What's it like over on your side of the world? Um, It's pretty chilly, but uh, generally quite nice. Can't complain. Murad, got to give you a big thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you spending uh, your time with us. You have produced just a ton of top-tier content, most commonly your charts that are famous on Twitter, but also your very famous podcast episode with uh, Pomp. Uh, and then also you you and uh, a couple other people, I believe, have put out a ton of novel, high-quality data analytics content on, on articles surrounding um, ways to measure value propositions and, and valuations of cryptos, mainly Bitcoin. 
using analytics that most people aren't using. And so you're definitely a pioneer in that space. And so I also have to give you praise for that. Um, so we wanted to bring you on the podcast to talk about kind of where your mental models take you, uh, how you evaluate these things and what you are looking at in terms of data. Um, and then also want to talk about like the, because a lot of your, your content seems to be focused on um, the influx of people and the migration of the world to the world of cryptocurrencies and what that, that looks like. And so even though it's not explicitly said, like your charts are talking about how, how the rate of adoption of crypto and Bitcoin and your analytics always kind of relate to like how and when crypto will be ultimately adopted. So let's actually start with your charts because your charts are the most unique charts that I ever see in the world of cryptocurrency, uh, mainly because they are so incredibly concrete and specific. And so that like as somebody who doesn't chart well or or at all your charts are like a godsend um and i know and i know you're not like committing yourself to the things that your charts say um even though they are saying very concrete things i just wanted to ask you like why what motivates you to put out such concrete charts that that make very very specific uh predictions both with price and with time and you put a ton of effort into these things so i just kind of want to know what motivates you to produce uh the content that you are producing with charting yeah admittedly i think it's quite risky because um on the off chance i get it right people i say oh yeah he got it right whatever but on the off chance i get it wrong i'm probably going to get a lot of uh slack for this but in any case um my charts actually kind of evolve like every month or every couple of months. And instead of saying the same thing, um, my views change quite a lot, but I just try to update people on my latest thoughts, so to speak. Um, and who knows, like maybe a month from now, I'll post something that is different. But um, essentially, it's just generally my rough view on where I see the market going, uh, particularly in the, in the medium term. I think like the more granular and the more short term you go, the more both trading and price predictions start gambling. But I think that if we combine a lot of sort of statistical, particularly on-chain analytics type data, um, making medium term and even longer term predictions is a little bit more viable, which is sort of the uh, niche I like to focus on. But essentially, yeah, I think um, there's a lot of um, edge to be had by analyzing particularly what's going on like like on the chain itself. Uh, I think that is extremely understudied right now. Um, I'm actually launching a hedge fund in, in two months that is going to essentially be like dedicated to uh, like very minute and granular on-chain analytics and essentially be uh, trading, not so much on technical analysis, but trading like in the medium term, uh, like based off of like the base chain insights. But um, yeah, essentially like that's where some of my insights have been coming from. Wow, that's actually super interesting. And I remember, I remember that Nick Carter in the last couple of days put out a tweet saying that um, analysts are going have yet to really fully understand the breadth of knowledge that is available inside of a public blockchain. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about like specific metrics or observables on the blockchain that you think are particularly interesting for you know making trading decisions? Totally. Um, so I think it's very, very cool. And it's the first time in history where we have, um, if you think of blockchains, you essentially have a, um, 
you essentially have a financial asset and a settlement network in one, like at the same time, which, is, which isn't really something that you have had before. Uh, so other than the native units themselves, you have this payment slash settlement network where the native uh, asset is constantly like moving on and churning on, trading on, selling on, et cetera. And um, especially for non-private chains, um, there are a whole, uh, whole myriad of different sort of indicators and metrics and kind of um, indicators of health how we like to call them, um, that you can glean from the chains. And I actually think that um, when you start, when you're gonna start getting more institutional involvement, probably um, in the next cycle or more realistically, the cycle after that, I think a lot of the potential uh, insights and edges from um, like that kind of research are going to get priced in. However, that being said, I, I still think um, like the next four or five years, this is still relatively uncharted territory. And you can probably um, have a lot of uh, edge by sort of studying that kind of thing. Are there like specific things or, or like metrics that you already think are important or is that yet to be discovered? Um, so really, it comes down to like all of the indicators and, and ratios that you can come up with in one form or another, uh, they come down to essentially four core um, four core indicators. And really they are value, which is like price. Um, then you have dormancy, which is sort of um, things like Bitcoin days destroyed and hodl waves that you might be familiar with. Um, and lastly, you have like various velocity type metrics, which show like um, how how the coins are moving, what, like uh, what proportion of, of value is moving in like um, native coin terms, what proportion of value is moving in fiat terms. Uh, of course, you can also look at addresses and in the proof of work chains, you can also study the hash rate. And uh, there are a lot of different indicators that combine like two or three of these at the same time. Um, we are actually going to be coming out with several sort of blog posts and articles in the coming weeks and months, sort of, um, this like just sharing just sharing some of our findings and some of our indicators with the community. Uh, we previously wrote about realized capitalization and MVRV ratio, um, which is which essentially, if you haven't heard, the realized capitalization is you can think of it kind of like an on-chain um, volume weighted like average, and it essentially shows what's the average entry price for like the the whole world is. Um, instead of using the regular market capitalization, which everyone is familiar with, it essentially uses uh, the price of each UTXO or, or each coin uh, at the time it was last moved, um, which A, uh, like, like it's kind of like an on-chain moving average, but also it kind of um, discounts like lost coins and like unused coins, uh, things like that. And um, essentially we believe that the bottom is relatively close uh, if I, I mean, it's once again, somewhat speculative on our part, but I believe that the bottom is going to come in the second quarter. Um, and essentially, um, we believe that it's going to bottom in Q2 this year, but we're probably going to have like another year of relative flatness. 
And um, I genuinely believe that in that year of flatness, like late 2019, early 2020, it's going to like people need to get into this market. It's probably going to be one of the biggest wealth creation opportunities um, left in the first half of this century. So you think that this next bull run is just going to blow people's brains off like, or heads off? Like what's like what what you're anticipating? Because personally, I'm actually extremely bullish in like the medium term. I think people are vastly underestimating how fast uh, Bitcoin is going to appreciate. But I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. So in in the 2015 to 2017 cycle, bottom to top, we went from 200 to 20,000, which is like 100x. Um, I do think the returns are going to be a, uh, a bit smaller this time around. Typically, like they have been cycle to cycle previously. I'm anticipating maybe something like 35x or 40x um, as opposed to 100x last time. But I still think, it, I still think it's a huge opportunity. Uh, I, I mean, I'm probably going to get some slack for this from my like, more hardcore Bitcoin maximalist friends, but I think a bunch of else will outperform once again. Fewer than, fewer than uh, you had in 2017, of course. The returns are, in my opinion, going to be more concentrated because the median IQ of this industry is going to be improving cycle to cycle and you're going to have sort of more deep pockets and quasi smart money involved. But um, yes, the returns are going to be more concentrated, but I do think there's going to be half a dozen to a dozen alts that outperform Bitcoin. Uh, if you can figure out which alts those are, probably a good place to be in. That being said, I still think um, it's uh, Bitcoin should be a big chunk of your portfolio. But yeah. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. 2017 and 2018 were big years for learning about what cryptocurrency is and what a token is and token economics and what are good token economics. And you and Chris Berniski and Ryan Selkis are all just doing a bang up job finding new ways to evaluate and analyze data around cryptocurrencies and blockchains that most people aren't using. And now that we're on the other side of the ICO mania, we know that like 99% of tokens that were sold were sold with a broken token economics model. And that's just because the the sale of the token wasn't really the point of the ICO. It was to raise a bunch of money. In the bear market, I totally agree that there's going to be a massive convergence of value upon the tokens that we are now discovering to be good tokens. And we can actually already see some of that happening. Uh, MKR wasn't hit by the bear market so badly. Additionally, we see a lot of crypto asset researchers uh, converge on a very few number of tokens that they all kind of agree have good strong value propositions like Decred is, is one. Chris Berniski is a big fan of Decred and, and other asset managers are big fans of it as well. Uh, and so, yeah, like very few but strong examples of tokens really capturing a lot of the value that is bleeding out from other shit coins. Since we're on the subject of non-Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, uh, looking back in the history of your Twitter, there was a time where you were less focused on Bitcoin and more on other cryptocurrencies. And so I was hoping you could kind of take us through your your mental progress about like how you decided to converge the most of your time on Bitcoin and to the to the neglect of others and also how your mental models have developed about um, how people when they migrate from the old world to the crypto world, how that will impact the valuations of various different uh, cryptocurrencies and how your ideas have progressed around that subject. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think. Like, I, I just, it would be useful to uh, share sort of my latest thinking on this issue. Uh, and it, it's kind of, it's kind of evolved a little bit as of late. The way I think about it is, well, 
I, I'm kind of skeptical in most things in the space. I genuinely think that like the money use case, the store of value use case is by far the biggest. Uh, like we're looking at a hundred trillion plus like market cap here, theoretically. And uh, everything else, like I, I do think there are a small and by small, I mean smaller than most people think uh, use case for like blockchain technology and distributed ledgers outside of money. But uh, they're really like literally like a hundred times smaller if that, right? And um, I think um, like prediction markets, credit, like various credit structures, super interesting stuff as well. But I think um, I believe and I predict that in the next like cycle two, three, uh, more and more people will finally admit that uh, like the store of value is really what people should be uh, like paying attention to because like you need that in terms of liquidity, you need that like technologically because like gold doesn't need to uh, like secure itself. But these blockchains, they need to be proof of work or proof of stake. Like they need to be uh, ideally used a lot to, to remain secure and they need to have big market caps to be secure. And uh, this is a very interesting kind of like feedback loop within feedback loop type dynamics where uh, medium of exchange and store of value here are super interconnected, not just from um, like from a traditional monetary history and liquidity perspective, but also from like game theory perspective, right? And um, this is what I believe as of late. I, I, I think the multi-coiners who think that there's gonna be like 10 plus dominant chains, I think they're totally deluded. Uh, but I also think that ultra maximalists who think that there's only going to be one coin slash chain, like starting from next week they're, they're, or starting from next cycle or even in 10 years from now, I think they're way too early. I think maybe they might be directionally right about where this space is heading like 50 years from now. But um, I think more realistically in the medium term, we're probably going to have like three or four dominant chains. And yes, the chain number one might take like 70, 75% of the market. But generally, I, I still think there's going to be, uh, like roughly speaking, there's probably going to be three or four dominant chains uh, distributed something like 70, 20, 82. Now, like, like very Pareto style. So do you think that a smart contracting platform will be in like the dominant side of future blockchains? Uh, and if you do think that, where do you think that smart contracting platform will exist? Will it be, will it be on top of Bitcoin or like on like Rootstock or will it be on a smart contracting platform that we know of today or, or how does smart contracting platforms fit into the, your mental model about value accrual? This is kind of where my, my uh, latest thinking comes in, but I actually don't think it's a, it's not about the smart contracting per se, because I do think eventually you'll have many ways of doing smart contracting either on base chains or on like higher layer twos, layer threes, layer fours, whatever. I think the other, um, the other chains are essentially going to be chains with different security models or different ledger, ledger assurance models. So really what we should be comparing isn't Bitcoin versus smart contracting platform. What we should really be comparing is like proof of work versus proof of stake versus other kinds of uh, like security systems. And the reason I think about this is essentially the following. Um, if we very like this is kind of hand wavy, but if we very optimistically assume that things like Lightning Network and various payment channel technologies, if they're going to be uh, essentially pluggable atop any chain and increasingly private and increasingly interoperable, I actually think that um, on-chain privacy, like when I'm talking completely dark, like on-chain privacy, uh, on-chain throughput, and on-chain programmability, they are essentially um, they're essentially decoys, and I don't think they represent strong modes. 
Uh, I think if we, once again, like if we optimistically assume that things like Lightning Network can work atop any chain and they're all going to be interoperable, you start thinking about what criteria are base layers actually competing in. And in my mind, it, like the, the four or five things that really matter are things like security and security model. Uh, of course, it's things like credibility of monetary policy with a caveat that it needs to be sustainably disinflationary, uh, sustainably being the key word here. Um, so you want, you want the monetary policy to be as disinflationary as possible while remaining secure and while proving to the world, like, look, guys, like it's still going to be secure 10, 15 years from now. Uh, then you have things like liquidity, saleability, stability, usability, but they're like all interconnected. Um, you have things like inelasticity in of blocks, block space demand for the purposes of final settlement, which in other, in, 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 in simpler words is essentially like you want people to use the chain a lot for one reason to another to ensure like juicy, consistent fees uh, so that to minimize block reward. And then you have things like, um, I think I increasingly think that like governance and upgradability, adaptability models are important. And of course, I think super important thing is quality of engineers and just like couple, couple that with the religious zeal of the community. But essentially those five, six things I mentioned are, they are essentially the only things that matter. And oversimplifying um, credibility of monetary policy, liquidity, um, usage and like the religious zeal, they just come like with time and success and with like, with, with, with the chain and like achieving milestones. So I think the real true engines uh, of base layer competition is going to be like all about security and maybe governance, but essentially, but, but, but security is the number one thing. And um, I think essentially Bitcoin will probably stay the proof of work king for a long time, if not forever, probably forever. Uh, and like, as of late, I think that like competing against Bitcoin in the store of value slash money market, uh, when you are a pr proof of work chain is going to be a very uphill battle. And that's why I'm bearish on things like Zcash and Monero over the long term, because I think that um, if you, if you, if you make a list of like 15 things that matter the most for store of value and money, yeah, privacy uh, is, is one of them. And Zcash and Monero are superior to Bitcoin in, uh, in one of those things. But Bitcoin is just so much further ahead in like the remaining 14 things, um, like more liquidity, more financialization, bigger market cap, like it, bigger hash rate, more security, more devs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I, I just don't think that just one, like Bitcoin plus privacy is not enough to compete. Um, so at the, on the other end of the spectrum, you have proof of stake, which I think like it's a lot of uncertainty still right now. Um, some concerns with oligarchy, weak subjectivity, um, randomness, nothing at stake. Some of those things are solvable. Some of those things are less solvable, but, uh, the problem with proof of stake, I think, unlike proof of work, where Bitcoin is going to totally dominate, uh, you are going for proof of stake. You're probably going to have like a lot of competitors in, in the coming cycles, like Polkadot, um, Cosmos, Ethereum 2.0, Definity, and like a bunch of others. Right? Uh, there's like dozens and dozens of protocols coming coming around that are going to be pure proof of stake. So, um, I, it, it, investing there from from a trading session investment point of view, it's a bit more high risk. Hard to pick the winners. It's going to be a long battle. And also, um, I am still skeptical. I'm still questionable in my mind whether the world at large is going to uh, permit 
or is going to desire for a pure proof of stake chain to be like a global store of value. Because I think that trust minimization is super important there. But essentially, those are my thoughts on these topics. Essentially, like that's where I'm at right now. There was so much good stuff in there. So that was, that was very eloquent. Clearly, you've, uh, you've thought through this a number of times. And I couldn't agree more with the the value propositions of the security mechanism rather than what, whatever the security mechanism is securing. Uh, Christian and I, we, we had a, an episode previously where we were, it was a Bitcoin versus Ethereum episode, but I, I've been a big fan of not looking at it as Bitcoin versus Ethereum, but instead looking at it as proof of work versus proof of stake, where Bitcoin is trying to create the archetypal proof of work chain and Ethereum is, is trying to build the archetypal proof of stake chain. And so when, when we debate, like, you know, oh, what's better, you know, what's better store value, blah, 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 it's really, it's really a function, it's really a, a proxy of the argument of the benefits of proof of work versus proof of stake. And I see that Ethereum moving away from proof of stake is actually probably the most harmonious way for Bitcoin and Ethereum to interoperate, because if you ever need Bitcoin to be able to... Um, receive whatever features that a proof of stake network has, well, then you have, you know, wrapped Bitcoin, um, however you want to get wrapped Bitcoin onto Ethereum, and then you have the best of both worlds. And and then then there's a little bit of interoperability between there. But I, I think that Bitcoin or Ethereum moving to proof of stake is probably really, really good for, for Bitcoin in the sense that we, now there's no longer these two chains that are trying to take up the same real estate in people's mining facilities and and uh, and likewise, there's likely only going to be one significant proof of stake chain in the same way there's only one significant proof of work chain. Um, so I, I, I hear you echoing a lot of these same sentiments. I, I kind of want to pr- uh, dig a little bit more into, you know, what other consensus mechanisms you believe to potentially work. It sounds like uh, you are unsure about proof of stake. Um, is there anything out there on the market that you think can play up against uh, a substantial proof of work like Bitcoin? So it's it's tough to say for sure because uh, it's very difficult to speculate how um, how the distribution of like these monetary store value winners will play out and whether um, like to what extent do that does like, like the global community of like large asset managers and ultra high net worth individuals, to what extent do they want to hold like several um, current cryptocurrencies essentially but um remember how i said that i think there's going to be like four or five chains instead of 10 or one essentially what i think is like each one of those four and five they're all going to be the respective winner of of their of their consensus model family um and essentially i think um yeah i'm, I'm unsure about proof of stake uh but I, I am I am a, I am a strong believer in proof of work. I also think the hybrid proof of stake proof of work model is promising. Um, would of course like to see sort of more um, Lindy effect developed there and sort of to see it more years in operation. Um, and of course, you want to see more actual usage of those chains because if most of the high value transactions is going to be happening or settling on top of Bitcoin. Um, assuming 10 years from now, when all of these things already have relatively low inflation, um, the chains that are actually going to be used a lot are going to be the only ones that can remain competitive stores of value. So um, 
it remains to be seen what other kinds of utility do other chains provide in order to stay competitively low inflation, which is going to be like a super, super competitive thing. But um, I still think that like just having one chain only when you're talking about a potential 100 trillion plus market for monetary liquid stores of value, it's too, especially right now, like when this asset class is only a decade old, um, it's too risky. Um, I think people will want to hedge their bets once again. And currencies are all about trust. They're all about, uh, they're all about faith. They're all about perceived reliability. And even if Bitcoin has a gigantic sort of first mover advantage uh, in terms of sort of the religious zeal around it and the, the extent to which people believe in it, I still think, I still think most rich people and big investors, they're going to hedge their bets with um, maybe one, two or three other chains. And I think that if you can identify those correctly, um, you can probably make a lot of money in the next 10 years. Yeah. One of the ideas I've been tumbling around in my head is the fact that um, the fact that it's so financially advantageous to gamble on a blockchain that has like one one hundredth of the market cap of Bitcoin. I think that that force will actually just force a lot of chains into existence by itself just because so many so many hedge funds, you know, are buying into Bitcoin with like, you know, 50 percent of their of their uh, fund size, but then they're taking that other 50% and diversifying just in case. And that is enough of a bootstrapping mechanism to bring a lot of chains to life. Totally, there exist, there exist all kinds of uh, light and dark incentives to essentially pump altcoins. Uh, if you are a VC, if you're a hedge fund, if you're just a rich crypto person, it's in your interest to uh, like pump non-Bitcoin coins. Uh, and we're going to see continue. We're going to continue to see that happening for three or four more cycles. It's just human nature. It's inevitable destiny. Totally. So you say a lot of value is is going to be defined by the security mechanism of the base chain. Do you see any other security mechanisms other than proof of work and or proof of stake? Because when I go down the coin market cap and I exclude Ripple and Stellar, I only really see proof of work, proof of stake, or some uh, hybrid b uh, between the two. So I've been looking at this space as really only two consensus mechanisms on a spectrum, whereas Bitcoin is all the way uh, to the proof of work side and Ethereum is working to be all the way to the proof of stake side. I am, I, am I missing something? Am I ignorant to other uh, consensus mechanisms that aren't about these two different types? Yeah, um, I generally agree with you. Uh, I would say, though, that proof of stake has so many different constructions and so many different kinds that it, it like in, in and of itself, proof of stake has like many different ways to do it, which also like kind of makes it difficult to um, like invest in that vertical because you really kind of need to study them uh, very intensely and how like the security, how the monetary policy will play out, etc. Um, I believe Bram Kona, she is working at proof of space time, uh, but from what I from the rumors that I hear, it's still some still some ways away. Yeah, wait, that's uh, that's just like having a bunch of hard drive space, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a big fat experiment. I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, um, there's there they're not going to be like as much as a decoy as it is. There's not going to be any throughput advantages at all. It's still from what I from what I've been reading is going to be reliant on Lightning Network to scale as well. Um, but like it's going to be greener for whatever it's worth. Um, and n not that I think that really the world is going to care about that. Um, or, um, I mean, it, it's, it, it's going to come down to, it's going to come down to security, but, um, like we, we will see it's, 
like chia in production is really some 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 ways away from what I understand. Uh, so it's a little bit early to be talking about that. Yeah, I, I just briefly wanted to add that um, in terms of tokens, my view it, my view is this: I, I'm super bearish on like ninety nine point nine nine percent of them, but I think that um, something I've realized, and this is both on the liquid crypto asset side as well as even like VC style equity investing into company side there really isn't that much good things to invest in in this space. And uh, the likes of like Coinbase, Kraken and Binance, like the, the, the more time passes, the fewer of those there's going to be. Um, and uh, combine that with the fact that on the liquid token slash DAP side, uh, what I think is going to happen is like, there's probably going to be like four or five legitimate big DAPs, like in the medium term, in the long term, whatever. Uh, fewer than people think, but the few that do exist are going to be legit. A and um, but like that's that's not in the next cycle. I still think we're generally r relatively early for um, like DApps. The UX isn't there yet. The throughput isn't there yet. Like uh, and and people aren't going to go through and like the costs aren't there yet. And people aren't, in my opinion, are going to go through all these hoops to just use a decentralized X or, or decentralized solution. Um, really, in my mind, there are very few things in the world that really need to be hyper decentralized. And money uh, is definitely one of those. Uh, and like we we make in Bitcoin or in proof of work, for example, we make all the sacrifice in terms of speed and, and uh, UX. It's like it's super clunky the whole thing, and it's super expensive. Um, like decentralization is very expensive, and uh, we do it in order to hopefully one day um, get that central bank seniorage back to the consumer and to be able to transact in a censorship resistant manner. So like in this particular example, and because like the market, the market, total address of market is gigantic. So here it's, it's relevant. So what I actually think is gonna happen in the next cycle is um, because there are so few things to really genuinely invest in, uh, and at the same time, there are a lot of VC firms and hedge funds that do need to deploy these things in non-Bitcoin assets. Because like if they only if they only buy Bitcoin, then what's the point, right? They they need to invest in non-Bitcoin assets. So what's going to happen is the couple of DApps that have like some kind of little usage, they're going to pump super hard. Not because there's the users to back it up or there's cash flows to back it up, but simply because like as I've said, there's nothing else to invest in. So maybe and I don't know if this is going to be the exact coin. So like don't don't this is not investment advice, but like things like Maker, maybe things like Augur. Uh, like those that get any kind of a semblance of attraction, they're going to, I think like those DAP coins there or tokens, they're going to pump hard simply because like they are the only semi-legit things that are out there. Uh, but like, that's my sort of rough view on the issue. And I, probably the same thing is going to happen with like the similar story is going to happen with the three or four non-Bitcoin store value contenders as well. Good timing as we are right in the middle of a big MKR pump. <laughs> so Murad, I understand that you very much are bullish on Bitcoin, but you don't seem in any way like a Bitcoin maximalist to me. So kind of reflecting towards like, you know, the Bitcoin is the one uh, narrative. Like, where do you think that people who believe that get it wrong? Um, especially, you know, the kind of like, quote unquote, Bitcoin maximalist. To be completely honest, I think like in general, Bitcoin maximalism is relatively rational. Uh, if you study monetary history, you will realize that liquidity begets more liquidity and um, you are likely to have 
like liquidity want to flow in one chain in one coin because when you this is something i call the anxiety reduction theory of of money um and essentially the chains and the cryptocurrencies that are going to reduce your anxiety the most or the chains that are going to make you sleep the best they're the ones that are going to win and bitcoin is really good at making you sleep well like it's super it's super secure the monetary policy has thus far been like very perfect um the devs have are very very conservative approach to development and these things you want these things in store of value like these things are hybrid money software but in my mind they're money first and software second uh especially when it comes to pricing them like especially when it comes to market caps but um my issue is that these things as we can all agree are a little bit more complicated than uh, metals or rocks so um even if this convergence towards one is going to happen i still think we are many cycles away from that winner take all uh like extreme dynamic where one chain takes like 96% of the market and so i think in the meantime um if you kind of put like the libertarian and the anarcho capitalist ideology aside you can really uh due to the extreme immaturity and inefficiency of the space you can definitely um make some profits in other crypto assets but that i th- just think that's the reality of life uh, a lot of bitcoiners hate me when i say this um but um i think it's just human nature and like couple this with the fact that probably like less than 1% of the world is seriously involved in this so much money is yet to come in and when bull markets begin and you start having euphoric animal spirits again everybody from uh like the poorest retail to the richest quasi smart money their ego will get the better of them and they will really want to like kind of gamble and try to outperform like big caps and so i think like these human cycles of fear and greed are they're kind of uh inescapable at least for the time being and i think if you really sort of study uh study these markets you can really take advantage of them that's like kind of my uh pragmatic um if not um kind of cynical view on the on the matter to be honest, I, for the most part, completely agree with you. Um, I've been on record thinking that like the Bitcoin maximalist view is not 100% rational. And I think altcoins are good for the space. Like trading is one of the biggest use cases. Gambling is one of the biggest use cases. You know, having the casino is great for Bitcoin. Um, so I definitely agree. Uh, but at the same time, I do agree that uh, most Bitcoin maximalists about long-term investments are correct to go with Bitcoin. Um, I, I I would agree. I would agree that as of right now, Bitcoin is by far the most likely long-term winner. Are you Are you familiar with the dual token model of, of MakerDAO and and how do you feel about that system? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. I think I think MakerDAO is really cool and it's like one of the few like legit projects in the space. I think it's awesome. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't think that, uh, like, just due to the nature of it, I don't think Maker will uh, outperform like store value candidates. Um, but it's also arguably like a lower risk, lower reward type investment. Um, a lot of smart kids have it in their portfolios. Um, I try to focus on the money use case personally. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a legit it's a legit it's a legit application in my view. Have you read my article, uh, MakerDAO, Bitcoin in Two Coins by chance? 
I haven't, no, but uh, if you can sort of kind of uh, explain uh, roughly what Will's about, I would love to find out. Yeah, it's it's just a pr pretty simple article that kind of talks about how um, through the, the smart contract system, what MakerDAO has been able to do is to distill qualities of Bitcoin and separate them into two separate coins, DAI and MKR, where all the risk is given to the MKR holders and all the stability is given to the DAI holders and all the speculative volatility is given to the MKR holders and all the security and um, and uh, monetary trust is given to the DAI holders. And so DAI is like promised to always stay at a dollar and that's backed up by the collateral of the ether and then also the value of the MKR equity token. Uh, and then, but, but then you also are not exposed at all to the upside risk, uh, upside potential of the growth of the network. And so like Bitcoin maker, uh, the value of the maker system grows as the network grows uh, and, and the value of the MKR token grows as more people are transacting in DAI and as the DAI market cap grows. And so the, what's, it's basically, it's basically Bitcoin using two coins. Uh, and so that, that was the general thesis of, of the article. And it, and the, the claim is that it allows it to scale better, uh, because I, I would argue that 99% of the world doesn't want to be exposed to the volatile nature of cryptocurrencies, but they still want peer to peer trustless, uh, value exchange. And that's where really maker Dow shines in, in and above, yeah. uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, I think, People will probably be using stablecoins for the next two or three cycles uh, in order to like transact borderlessly. And I definitely see a use case for them. But also in the long term, um, I think like the biggest cryptocurrency is going to be stable, like without any kind of mechanism. Like Bitcoin, um, after it passes like 10, 15 trillion or whatever, it's going to be increasingly stable. So um, I've listened to your, I believe it was episode. 22 or 23 of your podcast, you said that cryptocurrencies will never be stable. I actually disagree. Um, I think that essentially for them to be stable, you need the val the total value held in cryptocurrency uh, to be significantly bigger than the wealth flowing in and out daily. And I think that um, like when you go into the tens of trillions, um, you that's the case. And I think that um, the, the the desire for for to hold a, a fixed a fixed cap store of value is just huge. And I do think that uh, like one maybe two or three per, like one to three coins will achieve that size. And I think the bigger they get, the more stabler they'll become. So in general, to me, stable coins are more of like a medium term solution. And I am more excited by coins that actually embrace volatility uh, for the sake of complete social scalability and trustlessness. Yeah, I, I totally agree with those arguments. I, I can see them uh, see them being true. But likewise, at the same time, I can also think uh, see an argument around how you know the, the stock market in comparison to, to crypto is relatively non-volatile even though the stock market is volatile when you compare it to bonds um and and, and so volatility is all relative and so as in undoubtedly and we've already seen this is is true as as bitcoin goes up in market cap its volatility lowers and we can totally expect that trend to continue i st still think that there is a cap on how stable those things can get even 
at the sizes that you that you're talking about. And the reason why I think there's always going to be some amount of liquid uh, of volatility is because of how intangible these uh, tokens are. These are like internet ledger tokens that don't actually have any tangible real world implications. And because of that, the markets behind cryptocurrencies are so much in people's heads. And it's 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 not based like, you know, Apple stock has, you know, cash flows and customers and things that are very, very tangible and and real and calculatable and i i think the cryptocurrency will always world will always be generally lacking in some of those tangible features and because of that and because some of the value some of this value in the space is so perceived that the, there's always going to be some amount of volatility that's based off of the fact that there's no actual real world tangible assets that are that are being touched um but i would say they're equally as intangible as gold is um, and if you study the history of gold in terms of its actual purchasing power, um, like, of course, it took uh, like hundreds or thousands of years to get there. Um, but like between like 15th century and 19th century, gold was super stable. And um, I think like, obviously, it's going to take a very long time uh, and it might not even like happen by the time we die. But uh, eventually, like cryptocurrencies are also going to be stable and it will happen like due to the interconnected nature of, of the internet and technology and the more globalized uh, levels of the world today, it's going to happen much, much quicker than it took gold and silver. Uh, but yeah, essentially you, you would, you would probably need like fiat currencies to collapse for uh, like the dominant cryptocurrencies to be super stable. But like, that's why it's, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an uphill battle, but I think eventually it's going to happen. Right. Cause if the fiat currencies collapse, then, then our stability frame of reference is totally gone. Precisely. And all of the monetary wealth is going to be held there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, so somebody like, like as volatility is always super relative. And so when it's yeah. always going to be all relative to the currency that is used the most. And so, I mean, if, if that turns out to be Bitcoin, then well, then Bitcoin is absolutely zero, has zero volatility and everything else is volatile, volatile to Bitcoin. Totally. And um, like some Austrians would even argue that uh, like, there is no stability in life and you actually kind of want as a world for your money, even at like a multi-trillion size to be a little bit volatile, like just a tiny bit, because essentially um, if you study like money on a, like a psychoanalytical level, it's essentially um, like it really, it really has to do with anxiety about the uncertainty of the future. So um, in times where people will get scared, uh, they will park bigger chunks of their portfolio and bigger chunks of their wealth into money and in, into cash, essentially. And in times where there's economic boom and prosperity, uh, wealth will relatively flow out of money and go into investments. And essentially, um, you want money to be uh, becoming like cheaper and more expensive, uh, like year to year, uh, because it's essentially a, 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 an index of like economic um, uh, like like the economic cycle and it will also allow like interest rates to be completely unmanipulated and just be like priced like fairly by the free market etc etc et yeah i actually love the example of comparing the price of money to like essentially interest rates is the price of money it's just it's a manipulated price of money so if a fairly stable bitcoin exists with a little bit of price uh, you know, kind of volatility, that is the price of money. It has a natural interest rate built in. And I like to compare Bitcoin to like an automated money ruler. 
The only thing the chain has to do is prove the Bitcoins exist, and we have a economic measuring tool. Uh, so uh, I completely agree with uh, you know how Murad described it. And ultimately, I think that's the best way to think about Bitcoin, because then you can think about how other applications can simply reference Bitcoin existing and have an efficient you know, money measuring system and trust system. Totally. And if you if you actually look at the market from this perspective that you described, you start appreciating kind of the inflexibility of Bitcoin and that it's extremely hard to change. You, you kind of want your like the, the, the startup uh, like San Francisco Silicon Valley people like hate it's like, quote unquote, slowness. But uh, when you when you look at it as gold, when you look at it as a potential future money, when you look at it from perspective of reliability and anxiety, you realize that like this hyper conservatism is probably desirable. I, I've always really enjoyed the world of cryptocurrency and and the its volatility as kind of re a reflection of um, the animal kingdom. And so, like, uh, if I've always thought, like, and I think I got this from Andreas Antonopoulos, who talked about how you know fiat money and centrally controlled financial systems are like bubble boy. And where cryptocurrency systems are, are like the the rat, the, 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 excuse me, the infested rat in the system, and so like the, the infested rat will never ever get sick because it's it's it was bred in disease and it was bred in a cesspool and it's it's bred it's, it's grown in a way that makes it immune from all of these things, and that's hallmarked by its volatility. And so volatility just shakes out anyone who isn't prepared to uh, enjoy the fruits of cryptocurrency, but the people that are are really going to create this immensely strong immune system for these crypto systems as a whole. And eventually with the, the fiat systems that have been like, you know, protecting and protecting and protecting and wrapping and wrapping in bubbles and using hand sanitizer, as soon as one small little bit of corruption gets into the system, it just sets off a cycle that, that will inevitably lead to its doom. Uh, and so that, yeah, that was a bunch of like loaded language, but the, the concepts are there. Whereas like the, the longer you force your fiat to be stable, you're just, you're not removing risk. You're ri kicking risk down the road. And eventually you're going to run into all of these, all, all the risk that eventually piled up and you can't kick it any further. So that, that's been one of the biggest things that has really attracted me to the crypto space. Yeah, all totally. Right. Um, I, I think in our lifetime, there'll be a situation where like people on Ma start choosing like digital alternatives to government money and it's really going to get crazy like we're still like on the left side of the s-curve once we get to that like inflection point um it's really like everything's going to change um and uh, i'm really looking forward to it i don't know if you should be looking forward to it but it's going to be a very volatile time in the world in my opinion um you guys this has been an incredible conversation murad uh i don't know tell our audience where they can find you, um, who you want to hear from, all that good stuff. Yeah, totally. You can always find me on Twitter at mustopmurad. Uh, my DMs are always open. I reply to everybody. Um, in terms of, uh, I've re really been enjoying your, your guys' show as of late. Uh, really like sort of the dichotomy between ETH and BTC, proof of stake and proof of work. Uh, it's a lot more um, interesting to listen to as opposed to other podcasts, which are generally like go one way or another, which essentially just becomes the same thing. But um, I would love uh, to for you guys to potentially invite um, people like Willie Wu. Um, uh, my partner, David Puel, can tell you a lot more about on-chain analytics than even I can. 
um, Arjun Balaji, Nick Carter. Uh, these are just some examples of some of my favorite thinkers in the space. We are absolutely going to work down that list one by one. So we will be making shout outs shortly. Thanks for that. For sure. Yeah, if you could help us with some introductions too, that we wouldn't be upset about that either, Murad. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. No problem. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm really happy that you're a fan of the show. Again, we are big fans of you. I've listened to a bunch of your interviews. And again, that Pomp interview um, is definitely uh, one for the books. So thanks for making that happen. My mom listened to it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for the invite. Uh, maybe next year we can do it again. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great. Um, all right, well, let's just wrap it up. Uh, I want to plug at Bitcoin 2019 conference. Uh, it is a conference that BTC Media and Bitcoin Magazine is putting on in San Francisco at the end of June. Um, it's going to be a fantastic show. We're going to have you know, pretty much all the biggest names in the Bitcoin space and really high production value event. And I'm very excited, working very hard on making it incredible. Going to be DMing Murad about it later too, so hopefully he can be there. Um, you can find the show at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me, Christian, at CK underscore Snarks. David, where can people find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Medium and on Twitter, and at East Denver. So hit me up there. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Murad. Thanks, Murad. For sure. See you guys.